peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. I realize the sun isn't shining this morning like it was yesterday, but I hope that all of us are glad that this is the day which the Lord has made and that we are here in God's house worshiping him at this very time. Today, as you know, is the third Sunday in Lent, and in the Christian church, today has the name of Oculi Sunday, and the word Oculi is the Latin word for eyes. The first word of the intro for today in Latin is Oculi, and it starts, mine eyes are ever before the Lord, and so uh, that's where it gets his name. The text that I just read, appropriate for this season of the church here, recalls an incident that took place in the life of Christ about in the month of October before the following April when he went to his sufferings and death. At this time, he was up in Galilee. He was on the border road between Galilee and Samaria. We are told that it was at this time in the life of Christ that he began to set his face to Jerusalem. The time was getting ready for him to go to Jerusalem and to be received up, to go back home. The time was getting right for him to complete his mission. And so when he was on this border road between Galilee and Samaria, this time taking his leisurely time to go to Jerusalem, he had decided that he was going to go through Samaria. Now you and I know that there was enmity between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews hated the Samaritans because they were a half-breed people. And of course the Samaritans hated the Jews. Nevertheless, the Jews did go through Samaritan country without any danger. And the Samaritans did come into Jewish country without suffering any great danger. And so we must have that as a background to realize what happened. And when Jesus was on that border road, he sent uh, James and John... He said, will you go into that village over there in Samaria? We're going down through Samaria and uh, find a place for me to stay. He wanted to remain there overnight. So James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, they went into that unnamed village and uh, they asked whether Jesus couldn't remain. And because we are told that his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem, the people in the Samaritan village said, no, sir, we don't want him. It was more than the fact that Jesus was a Jew. In this Samaritan village, they had heard about him, that he was the Jewish Messiah. And they hated him because he was the Jewish Messiah. He's not our Messiah. He's not our Samaritan Messiah. We don't want him. And he's going to that hated city of Jerusalem, which we don't like. And he's going down there to that temple in Jerusalem, which we don't like. We don't want him to stay overnight. The answer is no. They snubbed him, they insulted him because he was the Messiah and he was going to go by Mount Gerizim where their temple was. And you can imagine how James and John felt when they came back to the border road where Jesus was and they were just burned to a crisp and they were wondering what can we do to vindicate the honor of Jesus. These people dared to snub him and they dared to insult him and to blaspheme him. And when they got back to Jesus, they told him what had happened. They said, Lord, shall we call down fire from heaven and burn them up? That's what we ought to do. Let's burn them up like Elijah did. And then it was that Jesus turned to them and he bawled them out for fare you well. He rebuked them. He says, wait a minute, James and John. You don't realize what kind of a spirit you've got. Then he said, don't you know that the Son of Man, he says, came not to destroy men's lives, 
but he came to save them. He said, James and John, don't you know that I came not to destroy my enemies, not to destroy those who snub me and insult me, those who are my enemies, those who reject me, those who blaspheme me, those who ridicule me. Don't you realize that I came not to destroy them, but I came to save them? And I wonder today on this third Sunday in Lent, whether you and I, as we look at him standing there on that border road between Galilee and Samaria, whether you and I can look at him and say what a wonderful, magnificent, beautiful Christ he is, that he is worthy of our thanksgiving, he's worthy of our appreciation, he is worthy of our undying gratitude, and for this reason, that he came into the world not to destroy his enemies, those that snub him and insult him, but he came to save them. I wonder how many of us this morning feel oh, this is a reason for undying gratitude and thanks to him that he came into the world not to destroy those who snub him and insult him and blaspheme him and spit on him, but he came to save them. I wonder how many of us really rejoice in that. I wonder if how many of us don't say, oh, that's the one thing that I find in Jesus that I'm not too happy with. I wish that he had come for the opposite reason. How many of us feel that? Why didn't he come into this world and when again he met those who snubbed him and insulted him? Why didn't he burn them up? We'd say, that's the kind of a Jesus I could honor. That's the kind I could thank. I wish he had come to destroy those who dare to snub him and insult him and offer all kind of ridicule and spit in his face. I wish he had come to do that, not to save them. But how many of us feel, why well, see a magnificent Christ standing there on that border road? The Christ who again came not to destroy those who insult him and snub him, but he came to save them. And we say, that's the one thing for which I feel that I can't be too grateful to him for if it was only the opposite. But I wonder this morning whether we could realize for a moment, supposing it had been the opposite. Supposing Jesus had come into the world to burn up his enemies, those that insult him and snub him, and not to save them. Supposing that had been his reason for coming. How many of us this morning realize that if that had been the case, there would be no salvation for us either. There wouldn't be any one of us who could ever find salvation. You may say to me, oh, that can't be true. You mean that if Jesus had come into the world in order to burn up those who snub him and insult him and have no use for him and not to save him, that there wouldn't be any salvation that all would be hopeless for us too? That is exactly right because Jesus would remind you and me in the first place that if he had come into this world in order to burn up his enemies, those that snub him and insult him, there would have been no Calvary for you and me either. And we'd say, oh, yes, there would. Surely he would have gone to the cross for us. He would have come and taken our sins and our guilt, and he would have gone to the cross, and he could have borne them for us. He would have died for us, but oh, no, there would never have been a Calvary because of this reason. Whose sins nailed him to the cross? Oh, it's so easy to say, well, if anybody's sins nailed him to the cross, oh, they were the sins of those who have dared to snub him and to insult him and to blaspheme him. But you see, if we just look at ourselves for the moment, your sins and mine nailed him to the cross too. You see, from the cross, when he looks at you and me and he looks at those who have snubbed him and insulted him, he sees no difference at all. He said, there isn't any difference. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
If he had come into this world in order to destroy and to burn up those who have snubbed him and insulted him, there would never have been a Christ who would have come into this world. There would never have been a cross. There would never have been any atonement for your sins and mine. You see, the trouble in your life and mine, when we say, oh, why didn't he vindicate himself and why didn't he come and destroy those who are obnoxious and who have nothing but meanness to say about him, we fail to see our own sins. You see, even an evil thought is a sin in God's sight. And you and I have got to learn this, that an evil thought damns you and me just as much as the sin of those who insult him and snub him. An evil thought damns you and me just as much as adultery. An evil thought damns you and me just as much as murder. You see, in the eyes of God, every sin damns. You and I like to say, oh, look at the greatness of the sins of those who snub him. But Jesus said, could I remind you, there is no difference. And therefore, again, if this Christ had come into the world, and if he had said, I have come to burn up those who insult me and not to save them, then none of us would see salvation. It would be a horrible tragedy for all of us because then there would be no forgiveness. There would be no deliverance from hell. There would be no heaven for any one of us either. Let's realize that. And that's why we ought to take another view of him as he stands there on the border road between Galilee and between Samaria. And again, we ought to say he is a beautiful Christ, even though I've never seen it as I should. That he is worthy of my undying thanks and gratitude. Thank him that he came into the world. And even though you and I may say it's the one thing that we find hard to accept in him, that he came not to burn up his enemies, those that snub him and insult him, but he came to save them because, you see, if it had been the other way, the reverse, there wouldn't be any hope for you and me. That's why today we ought to say, therefore, I'm going to determine in my life that I am going to see him as a wonderful Christ, and I shall thank him and I shall praise him that he came into the world not to destroy his enemies, but he came to save them. Then we will determine from this moment on in our life we'll never criticize him, we'll never turn and, again, needle him, to do something about those who insult him and those, again, who snub him. Oh, you don't have to look far in your life and mine to find those that have snubbed him and those that are doing it now. We look again, how many have wandered away from him and stand away from him today that you and I know who stand and they ridicule him and they've got nothing good to say about him. They snub him and they insult him and they blaspheme him. And you and I say, oh, why does he let them get away with it? Well, you see, uh, James and John were a bit disappointed in him too. They were needling him when they came back. Uh, they wanted him to vindicate himself and they wanted him to say the word and they would have called down fire and they'd have burned them up in that Samaritan village. And Jesus said, wait a minute, James and John, you don't know what kind of a spirit you've got. The kind of a spirit they had, they didn't realize, was a spirit of revenge. And this is one tremendous thing. You and I may needle Jesus. Why does he do something? Why does he let men say what they say about him and get away with it? Why doesn't he manifest his power? Why doesn't he let us burn him up? And Jesus said, this is one reason, because you may not realize it, but your motive may be revenge. You see, we sometimes don't even know what motivates us. Why, if Jesus had said the word and James and John had called down fire, they would have stood there when that poor Samaritan village was being consumed and man, women, woman, and child was being burned. The goody, a goody, oh, send down some of our burn about great stuff. And that's what you and I do. If he would send down fire and consume those 
who insult him and blaspheme him. We just, ah, that's good for him. What is it? Nothing but a sense of revenge. And Jesus says, you don't realize what kind of a spirit you've got. And when again we say to us, why doesn't he burn him up? We need to look at ourselves and to wonder, is this righteous indignation? Righteous indignation is a rarity in the Christian life. And let's watch it that in the spirit of revenge, that we may not be, oh, unwittingly throwing ourselves into the very company of those who are his enemies by a spirit of revenge. He stands there, and we've got a picture of him this morning that sometimes you and I may not like so well, standing on that border road between Galilee and Samaria. And again, he is one who is worthy of our eternal thanks and praise and gratitude for this reason, that he came into the world not to burn up his enemies, those that snub him and insult him, but he came to save them. We, we find that hard. Oh, I see, that's the last thing I want to give him any thanks and praise for. I wish it were the reverse, the very opposite. If he had come to burn them up, I'd find more reason. But Jesus would remind you and me that if he had, if he had come to burn up his enemies and not to save them, that everything would be hopeless for you and me too. There would be no hope. And we say, no. Why? Because Jesus in the second place would remind you and me that he, every willful, deliberate sin in your life and mine makes us, again, just as much his enemy as the worst enemies than you and I could ever realize. Who are the enemies of Christ? How many times in your life have you and I deliberately, willfully sinned against him? In the first commandment, God says, no other gods before me. How many times in your life and mine have we deliberately said, God isn't coming first, in this case, I'm coming first. Whenever you and I deliberately and willfully do that which we know is wrong, do we realize what that means? We are saying to Christ, we say we have, and we are saying, get out of my heart. I dethrone you. You're no longer my Savior. I'm going to run my life. I'm putting myself on the throne. Do you realize and do I realize that every deliberate sin, and I don't care how small and insignificant it may be, every time we sin deliberately, we become his enemy and we dethrone him and we kick our feet in his face and we snub him and we say, I'm going to be the captain of my life. When he says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, you and I deliberately do it, we dethrone him, we become his enemy. When he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy every time in your life and mine, when we deliberately absent ourselves from God's house and we do it and we know better we are his enemy just as much as those people in the Samaritan village or any enemy that you can think of. Whenever you and I refuse to obey our parents and we deliberately disobey, we are his enemies. Whenever you and I kill and carry hatred into our hearts, we are his enemies. Whenever you and I have an evil thought as regards adultery and it's deliberate, we're his enemies just as much as any enemy ever had. Whenever you and I steal and have the desire to steal, or whenever you and I lie and fail to speak the truth, whenever you and I are covetous of things and we're envious and we're jealous, whenever we have any kind of a deliberate sinful thought in our hearts, we are just as much an enemy as his as any enemy has ever had. You see, we don't realize that, do we? And therefore, is it any wonder that Jesus would remind you and me that if I came to destroy those that snubbed me and dethroned me, he assures you and me there would be no hope for us either way, because he would have burned you and me up long ago, as well as having burned up his enemies. If Jesus had come into the world to destroy those by fire who have snubbed him, there wouldn't be any one of us 
right now in church, neither barring you or barring me, not one. We'd have been burned up long ago. And yet, oh, how we stand and we look at him on this border road and we say, this is a picture. I find it hard to thank him and I find it hard to praise him and to give him my undying gratitude for the reason that he came into the world not to destroy those that snub him and insult him, but he came to save them. Listen, friend, if he had come otherwise, you'd be burned to a crisp long ago, and so would I. And that's why today we ought to stop and say, in my life I'm going to try to see a beauty in you, Christ, and I'm going to try to see something worthwhile. I'm going to start thanking you for it. And when we determine to thank him that somebody had some sense, even though there are times when you and I have very little, and this is one, that he had some sense that when he came, he came not to burn up his enemies, but he came to save them. And then we will determine that as regards those who snub him and insult him, we will pray for them. Sometimes we say to ourselves, what can I do when I am surrounded, maybe even in my own home, by those who snub him, who blaspheme him, who have no use for him, who insult him? Oh, many of you have cried to me on this thing. You say, what can I do? May I say, here's something you can do this sermon. You can pray. Did you ever try praying? You know, they said, shall we call down fire like Elijah did? You may wonder about that. There are two incidents in the life of Elijah when he called down fire. Never in revenge. There was one time when King Ahaziah, who had wandered away from God and who was out after Elijah to kill him, he sent some troops and soldiers to Elijah. And Elijah called down fire. It was God's way to protect him and the soldiers were burned up. It was not revenge. It was protection. Then there was that other time upon Mount Carmel when in again in the northern kingdom things had gotten to a sorry sight and the people had wandered away from God and they were rejecting him and worshiping Baal and upon Mount Carmel you recall when he met the prophets of Baal and said uh, let's call to God and let's pray to him and if fire comes down and consumes my sacrifice then he's God and you Baal worshippers you call to your God Baal and if fire comes down from heaven then Baal shall be God and you and I know that fire came from heaven and burned up the sacrifice of Elijah and the people knew that God was God, God of Israel, the God Jehovah. Again he prayed. Do we realize what prayer can do? Do we realize that when there's somebody that we love who is snubbing him and who is insulting him, that when we pray we enlist in that picture God who controls a man's very breathing, every movement of his life. When God gets into the picture, don't you ever worry. Things happen. Oh, God's got many ways, and God promises I'll do everything I can. Oh, he can't force a man to believe in Christ, but he can bring illness. He can bring heartache. He can bring misfortune. This is the language that the blasphemer can understand. And when again you and I have learned to pray, we have taken it to God in prayer. Then we have the assurance that we've got God working in the case. And also the comfort in our own hearts that we're motivated not by a spirit of revenge. God pity us sometimes as Christians when we see those who snub him and insult him and whittle him down, blaspheme him, his enemies, and we think we're motivated with righteous indignation. We want to vindicate him. 
Or when Jesus says, watch out, it may be nothing but a spirit of revenge. But when you pray, when you pray for somebody who can't say anything too mean about Jesus, Christ says, then there is this comfort that you've got another spirit. You've got a spirit of concern. This picture of him up on the border road between Galilee and Samaria is one that many a Christian doesn't like. And yet, again, we see a magnificent Christ there when we take a second look at him. He's worthy of your undying and my gratitude and thanks and praise. Again, to think that he had some sense. And that when he came into the world, he would remind you and me as he did James and John that day when they lost their heads. He said, remember, Jimmy and Johnny, I came not to destroy, not to burn up my enemies. I came to save them. That's a brilliant, magnificent Christ when we realize that if he hadn't, there wouldn't be any one of us ever getting close to salvation. Oh, Christ would remind you and me also in the third place that we are no more deserving of his patience than are the worst of those who hate him. Why should he be patient with you and me in life? Why should he hold up? We look at the man who, again, insults him and the man who slurs him and blasphemes him, and we say, burn him up, Lord, get rid of him. We want to vindicate him. Supposing in your life and mine, Christ didn't have any patience. Have there been times in your life when you are very thankful that he didn't come in death for you? I'm sure that all of us would have to say, I'd hate to have died in a certain situation where I was. I'm glad that he was patient. I'm glad that he held off, that he didn't come. How many times in the life of every Christian would you and I have to say, I'm glad he didn't come? Any five o'clock Christians around this morning? How many of you have been a Christian since a babe? How many of you came in only after you were about 20 or 30 or 40 years of age? Supposing you came in at 45, how come he gave you 45 years of patience? How come he didn't burn you up in those 45 years? Did you ever realize that? Any five o'clock Christians, you came in pretty late in life. How many of you were 70? How many of you were 75 before you ever came to Christ? Why should he give you 70 or 75 years of patience and then burn up somebody else? In a moment, did you ever think of that? You and I don't deserve his patience at all. If he had come to destroy his enemies and to burn them up, there wouldn't have been any patience in your life and mine either. Then we'd have to say again, there wouldn't be any time of grace. Oh, did you ever think of the time of grace that all of us have? How come he didn't burn you and me up? in our past when we wandered away and didn't care about him, when we took our place with the scoffers. How come that he... Why, why didn't he vindicate himself? Why didn't he burn you and me up? Because he wants you and me to know that he didn't come to burn us up. He didn't come into the world to burn up anybody. When he came the first time, he came to stay. How many of us realize that you ever... Know this, and look at all the miracles that Jesus performed. There's not one with fire. You ever realize that? Not a one. There are no miracles that he worked in fire. Never consumed anybody. No miracles of fire, whatever. You wonder why. You see, the fire is coming when it comes again. 
This was the time of grace. This was the time that he was trying to tell James and John, remember, I didn't come to destroy my enemies. I came to save them because I came to save everybody. And until the time comes in your life and mine that you and I say, well, I don't know why he ever spared me. There were times if he'd have called me when I'd have been damned, when I was out of grace. But he didn't. You and I didn't deserve that. Neither you nor me. Who are you and who am I then to say, Lord, why don't you burn them up? If he had come to burn them up, there would be no time of grace in your life and mine. That's why today we ought to say this. I'm going to have to change my view of him with regard to the way he deals with his enemies, those that snub him and spit in his face, and you wonder how in the world he can stand it, and why he came in that Samaritan village, why he let him get away with it, and why he turned and said, come on, man, we'll go to another village. There's no ill will. We'll go someplace else. And they stayed someplace else that night. And you wonder why. You and I say, why didn't he burn them up? He'd have burned them up. That's the kind of a Christ I want. And Jesus says, well, if I had, I'd have to burn you up too. If we could just see ourselves. As he said, then we would say, I'm going to show my thanks that I do appreciate this picture of him. It's beautiful. It's wondrous. And showing some kindness to those for whom I pray. Do we realize what love can mean? You know, I wish you could be a little mouse at adult class sometimes. You may wonder, one of the thrills of my life is the Monday evening lecture series. I see what love does. Some of you cry and you say, my husband won't listen. He just has me used to the church. Again, some of you, again, your husband say, my wife has no use for church. And then a little love is shown. Maybe you're not the one because it's nagging. But somebody else that they know shows a little love and consideration they come. I already had it last Monday night. It was rather a thrill. We had to push the tables back and bring out more chairs. There's a hunger. And even last Monday night, and I've had it dozens of times in the past, you know the old saying, and fools who came to scoff remained to pray. Even last Monday night with just the first lecture. I had several say, you know, I, I didn't realize what there was to all this. Neither did the people in Samaria, that little village. They didn't know either. They hated him, but they had never been introduced to him. What love can do? This is the amazing. I've had dozens, yes, hundreds say to me, who came as scoffers. I came only because somebody asked me to come. And then to take a second look at him and to say, I, I never realized who he was. When you and I can love. I think of a classmate that I had in the seminary, the policeman. Great big burly man. I never saw a tougher, harder, fisted guy in my life. Weighed about 275. A man that his whole life was blasphemy and insolence as far as God is concerned. You'd never find him dead in the church. He had the Union Station beat when they walked the beat. He was a classman. You wonder how. And the other fellow who was his friend, they had the beats, and that was the worst part of Columbus in those days. But they arranged to meet, and they had the night beat. They met at a certain place on a corner where their beats met, and they met at a certain time every night, and if they weren't there, they went out to look for one another. 
And this other man was a Christian, his buddy, but this man, oh, just bitter. Who was he? Why, anybody was a Christian was a sissy. And one night, the buddy didn't show up, and he went out to look for him. He found him, and he was murdered. When he found his buddy murdered, then it began to haunt him. You see, God does something. So my buddy was a Christian. And then he said to himself, if I had been murdered tonight, what about myself? And he got afraid. Afraid for the first time in his life. He went and he talked to a minister. And he found some love. And then as so often happens with somebody who has been an enemy of Christ for so long, he immediately wanted to become a minister. Even though education, he wasn't qualified. But he entered the seminary and he... After working all night at Union Station, he would come out, and I learned to love that man, and he came up to my room and would freshen up, got the streetcar at 7 o'clock, and came out to attend some classes, and he'd come up to my room and rest a little bit. And I saw, here was a man that needs love, because the danger of being in the Union Depot beat all night, talking to me about the prostitutes and the pimps and everybody here and there, life in the raw, and then come out into a seminary, and there was a, a danger if you didn't love him, but to love him. And then in loving one day, he said to me, would you do me a favor? Came up to me, would you do me a favor? I said, well, sure, I'll do you a favor, Walter. What is it? He said, would you come to my house? Would you have supper at our house? And I'm telling you to entertain a theological student in that home. And I went. And it was just a simple little home. One of those places we had a steak, I remember, you know, where they give you half a cow, you know, can't do enough for you. And he said, would you have a prayer at the table, luck type of a guy? And I had a prayer. And when I finished, his wife said, I never thought that had ever happened in this house. There's been nothing but cursing. She said, I had profanity, and that's all that he could speak in our little boy. It's been nothing but cursing and swearing in this home. That's all we've ever heard. She said, I, I never knew what it would be to have Christ in this home. And she cried. She said, this is living. This is like heaven on earth. Again, a little love. You have no idea what it can do. Thank God we've got a Christ when you and I lose our buttons and we stand there and we say, why don't you burn them up? Jesus said, wait a minute. I didn't come to burn them up. I came to save them. If I had come to burn them up, I'd have to burn you up too. Love. This is it. The joy of old surprises in life. That you can join the hand of a scholar. You can walk the glory road and you can say, look up at him. Beautiful Savior, King of creation. Son of God and Son of Man, truly I'd love thee, truly I'd serve thee, the light of my soul, my joy, my crown, and to have a scoffer who came to scoff, remain to pray. The peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.